Well, about 15 years ago, I actually thought that my life was falling apart. It's actually almost 15 years to the exact time that we're in right now. I was engaged, and we had this girl and I broke off our engagement. And um, when I broke off this engagement, I flew down here for my sister's graduation. And then three days later, I was actually on a plane to Europe. Um, I had I'd broken off this engagement, and... Uh, you know, you're kind of like shell-shocked when that happens. Life is planned, and you think you have this future in front of you, and then there's not. And so uh, when I landed in Florida, actually, as soon as I landed, I got a phone call from my mom, and she was like, hey, listen, I need a yes or no immediately. Do you want to go with us to Italy and Greece? And I was like, but I don't even have clothes. I didn't bring clothes with me, right? So like literally the day before I left to come here for the graduation, I had broken off the engagement. So I was like in a really great place in life. You know where, you know where I'm at? Like you've had moments like that, that life is going really great. So I didn't even pack bags. I just like, I was like, I have some clothes down there, I think. So I just got on the plane, came home. And as, uh, so I said, yes, I guess I don't have anything better to do. So I went to Italy and Greece with about 30 different people. And when I got there, I felt so alone, right? Because everything in my future had changed, uh, like any kind of Anything that I had thought about for so long had just changed in my life. And then not only that, I'm with 30 people I really don't know, um, and I am in a foreign country. And you're like, man, that's, that's great. But sometimes like when things like this happen in your life, you need the comfort of things that are familiar, and as I got there, I remember on the plane ride, God's grace began to just like fall all over me as I was going there. Because I got on this trip so late, I couldn't fly with the rest of the people. So I got on this like other flight. And when I sit down in the seat, I'm flying economy, right? Like there are some, um, I'm in a, a human sandwich, okay? I was in the middle seat and I was between um, like, it was just a sandwich, okay? Like, it, it was tight. And so I, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, God, could you just, like, could you help me? Please, Lord, make me smaller, make them smaller. I don't know. Just do something. And then all of a sudden, the flight attendant walks by, and she looked at me, and she's like, and you could tell. We made eye contact. We had a moment. And she was like, are you okay? And in my eyes, I was like, I'm not okay. <laughs> okay? So, uh, like, she walks by. She, like, looked at me, winked at me. And I was like, okay. And then she went away. She comes back a few minutes later. And she's like, sir, uh, I just want to let you know that uh, we have another seat for you just up in the plane a little bit. And I was like, oh, okay. And she's like, why don't you come with me? And I get there, and there's a whole row of three seats that no one had showed up for the flight. I don't know how. And I got to sleep on this plane. But as I got there, uh, what I realized is I had no money. My, I didn't bring any money with me. And so I literally got to the airport in, in uh, Naples, Italy. Or no, sorry, in Venice, Italy. And I'm standing there and I'm like, I have five hours before anybody else gets here. And I have no money. And so I'm just going to go try to sit in a cafe. I felt so alone. Right? I'm in a foreign land. My life has fallen apart. Uh, all of these things had changed, and, and here I am. I'm alone. And I, I literally go to this cafe, and I sit down. And if you know anything about Italian cafes, you normally stand to drink your coffee. If you don't, you sit down. You need to pay. 
And so this, I'm like, here we go. So I'm sitting down, and I think this guy's going to come over and take my order. And he's like, are you going to be able to get anything? I said, you know, sorry, I don't have any money on me. Um, sorry. And he goes, oh, well, these aren't free seats. I was like, awesome. Okay, great. I'll just stand by this cafe for a while. When I'm standing there, this guy walks up to me, speaking in an American accent. So I was like, oh, are you from America? He's like, yeah, I am. I'm from Naples, Florida. I was like, oh, wow, I'm from Sarasota, Florida. And he's like, well, what are you drinking? I said, actually nothing. I have no money. Uh, I didn't even think about it, and I didn't bring anything. And he goes, I got you. And he brought me a sandwich and a, and a drink. And I got. And then I looked at the guy who wouldn't let me sit there. I was like, you see that? I'm sitting, buddy, all day. So I sat there for a long time. And then as I got to go on this trip, I, I remember there, there was a switch that happened to me while I was alone. Because how many of you know, like, you can be in a crowd of people and be alone? Like, you could be here right now, and maybe no one said hi to you when you came in today. If they did, hi, my name is Blake. I'm so glad that you're here with us today. But the reality is you could be surrounded by people and be alone. And I think for a lot of us during the holiday seasons, you sense that. You feel alone. Even though there's so many people around you, there's so many things going on, you feel alone. And, and God really began to teach me something here that, that was a lesson for today. Because as I would travel, I was alone, and all of these things were going on. My family was there, but I was struggling. And every time I would walk into a church, which Italy's full of them, I would just hear in my spirit, you're not alone. I'm with you. You're not alone. And all throughout this trip, I got to see how God was working in our lives. And as I began to prepare for the message today on loneliness, God brought me back to that moment where, remember when you were surrounded by people but felt alone, but you felt my presence and you were okay. What if I could tell you today that during the loneliest season of the year, you could actually really be okay? You could actually experience the presence of God, which is promised to us in his word, and you can walk through the season, and you could have no one around you, or you could have everyone around you, but you could sense his presence and his spirit, and this could actually become one of the most joyful parts of the year for you. You guys excited about that? Okay, good. I am too. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to get to work. We're going to look at a lot of the Bible because we like the Bible here. And so we're going to jump into that. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's free ones in uh, the lobby. If not, the words will be for you on the screen. But we have to talk about what loneliness is. Because a lot of us think loneliness is just us in a room by ourselves. But really, what research is showing us is loneliness is actually a state of mind. It's, it's what we think and how we feel. Because that's why you can be in a room with everybody and feel like you don't belong. And there's no one really there with you, right? And, and man, I, can I just say something, churches? We got to do a better job at this. That when people come into our churches and people come in and they're, they're, they're stepping out in faith and coming to church maybe for the first time in a long time, let's make sure they don't feel alone. Let's make sure they feel seen and heard and welcomed and all of these things. But it's loneliness causes people to feel empty and unwanted. Right, And so a lot of us will walk into a room filled with people, but because we're not greeted or, or there's some weird tension or something going on, we feel unwanted in that space. And that, that begins to pile on to our, uh, our loneliness. Like we will begin because we feel lonely in our mind, we will begin to isolate ourselves in real life. In fact, people who are lonely often crave human contact, but their state of mind makes it more difficult to form connections with people. This is what research is showing that loneliness is a state of mind that will compound in your life and it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
If you feel alone, you will withdraw. You will stay away. You will keep people at arm's length away. And so what are you doing? You're making yourself lonely. And so here's the deal. Today, because loneliness is more about a state of mind than it is about a physical presence, I, here's the, the solution isn't have parties. The solution isn't host Thanksgiving at your house. Then you for sure know you're invited. Okay? It's not like, hey, you're introverted. You need to become extroverted. You need to make some friends. Because, like, I'm an extroverted person. I felt very alone on that trip. But somehow through the whole process, I began to feel the presence of God. And I realized I wasn't alone. And it saved my life. It saved me in that moment to walk through some of these things. And I thank God for that experience now because now I can be here with you. And what God was teaching me then and what he's taught me over the past 15 years, today I get to take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it into good by the power and presence of the Lord. And so we have to understand that loneliness is, is not that we don't, we don't feel the, we basically just don't feel the presence of others. Presence is a big deal. Right? Have you ever been with someone and they're not there? They're somewhere else? And you're like, I might as well eat by myself. Right? Okay? Like you're just, you're looking through me at the dinner table. And so how do you and I begin to sense presence? Because let me just tell you something. Presence isn't physical. That's why for you and I, you and I can experience the presence of the Lord in our lives without him physically being here. That's huge. That's a really big deal because a lot of us feel like, man, I, I got to be around people. I got to be around God in order to feel his presence. That's the furthest thing from the truth that we see in the scriptures. And so as we jump in today, we have to understand that loneliness is more about a frame of mind. And so what do we have to do? We have to change our mentality. We have to change our minds, not our physical presence. And a lot of us have been trying to fix our loneliness issue by acting like we belong in places that we really don't so that we can try to connect with people that we really shouldn't. And so here's where we're going to start. Very first thing is this. You and I, the reason why we all struggle with loneliness is because we're built for connection. We are built to be together. Like that has been the design by God from the beginning, that we are not meant to be alone physically or Spiritually, like we are meant to be together. Look at what the Bible says. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18. The Lord God said, everyone say Lord God. This is important. We're going to need to pick up on this throughout the morning. Okay? So this Lord God is two words in Hebrew that mean something. Lord, all capitalized. This should be a great teaching tool. I don't know if the camera can follow me over here, but I'm going. All right. L-O-R-D capitalized in your Bible is the Hebrew word Yahweh, okay? This is the name that God gives for himself. I am Yahweh. The other word, God, G, little, uh, little d, is the word Elohim. Elohim is used to describe God or gods, right? It's just describing these spiritual powers, but it's not significantly to one thing. Yahweh is, Lord God. This is going to be important for us today because some of us aren't feeling Yahweh's presence, but we're trying to feel the presence of other gods in our lives. This is really important for you and I to understand that some of us are facing and pursuing little G gods and wondering why Yahweh isn't there. And so today we're going to look at this difference, but the Lord God said, to Adam, 
it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him, a partner. I'm going to make a partner suitable for you because Adam looks out and goes, man, everything else out here has got a partner. Everything out there that I've been naming and claiming and doing all these things, like, I'm alone. I mean, I got the Lord, I got the presence of the Lord, but God goes, look, it's not good that you're alone. So I'm going to make you a partner. Now the Lord God, there it is again, had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all of the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. It's not, dog is not man's best friend. So the Lord God caused the man to fall asleep, into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took out one of the man's ribs and then closed it, closed the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib who, had taken, who he had taken out of man, and he brought her to the man. And he said, whoa, man, whoa, man, this is good, right? But what happens is, is he looks at the woman and goes, man, this is right. Like, I'm not alone. There's something else here that's like me. I'm not alone. And so here's what you and I have to understand. God from the beginning understood that it's not good for you and I to be alone. And here's what happens. God provides physical presence through woman, spiritual presence through himself. He creates unity, community, and connectedness for them in this moment. Now, here's what begins to happen. How many of us know that the story of the Bible gets real bad real quick? Things start off great. They kind of go downhill really quickly. And here's why I think part of that is. One is pride. Two is loneliness. Because we said loneliness is about presence, not physicality, right? And how in you can, can you and I begin to not feel the presence of something? We begin to doubt. We begin to not see that that person or thing or God is real. Look at what happens in Genesis chapter 3. Because here's what happens. When we feel alone, we are easily deceived. When we feel alone, we are easily deceived. You don't even have to be alone. If you feel alone you will be deceived. How many of us, because we feel lonely, have done things we wish we never would have? We've tried to pursue people, please people, like people, and get people to like us because we felt alone. And so what happens is, is you and I will be easily deceived. You will become someone that you are not to find community with others that you shouldn't. So here's what happens, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. This is the description of the fall of humanity. Here's what happens. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals. There it is. Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did, you, did God, do you notice what just happened? Everywhere else in the Bible, it's been what? The Lord God, Yahweh God. Notice what the enemy did to her. He said to her, did God. He takes away the uniqueness of Yahweh in that moment. He takes away the unique presence of God in his question. Did God really say that? Did God really say you must not eat of any tree in the garden? He twisted the truth because she begins to feel alone because she's been removed by the from the presence of God by merely the name that Satan chose to use he says what did God really say you can't eat of any tree 
Notice that the deceit is not an outright lie. It's just a twisting of the truth. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, notice what Eve did. She started using a different name for the Lord. You notice that? Everywhere else it's been Lord God, Lord God, Lord God. The enemy comes in and says, did Elohim, did God really say that? And she begins to pull away in this moment, feeling not the presence of the Lord, just the presence of something else. And she begins to be deceived. She begins to fall away from the truth. And notice what she says. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. Here's the serpent. You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows, notice the name again, that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like an Elohim. You will be like a God. You will be like him, knowing good and evil. I want you to notice something. She already knew right and wrong. He deceived her. She already knew right and wrong. She already knew it. And she goes, well, do I know it? I mean, I'm not like him. I'm not completely like this Lord God, and so I'll be like a God. And so what happens is the enemy takes the unique Lord God and tacks him down to everything else. And when that happens, the presence of the Lord begins to fall away from her understanding, her feeling, and she becomes deceived. So what happens? Then the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. I want you to notice something. Everyone in here thinks that sin looks nasty, ugly, and awful. It generally looks good. It's like a glass of spoiled milk. The only way you're going to know is if you smell it or taste it. Otherwise, it looks okay. That's what sin does to all of us. It looks good. It comes in a shiny package. Here's what sin does. It overpromises and underdelivers all the time. And so she eats of the fruit, and then what? Not in a bad way. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her. Notice, Adam didn't speak up. I want you to notice something that happens in this text. The separation between man and woman, Adam and Eve, began when she began to be deceived and he began to be deceived from Lord God to just any God. It already began, the separation here. Because what? Adam didn't even step in for her. Adam's not like, hey, uh, wait, stop. Remember Lord God? Remember him? He's Lord, not Elohim's. We're not dealing with that. We're talking about the one true Yahweh God. Adam should have spoke up, but he doesn't. They're both deceived because the presence is kind of departing from them in this moment by sheerly the use of a name. And we're going to see why names are so important because there's power in the name of Jesus. So she also gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God. Uh-oh. Yahweh's here. We've been dealing with little G God. Now the Lord God is here. And so what do they do? They, they freak out. As he was walking in the garden in the cool of day, when they had been in perfect presence with the Lord, all of a sudden now the presence of the Lord is scary. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? I want you to notice what happened to Adam and Eve. And it happens to so many of us. When we start to feel alone, which is a mental state, we will be easily deceived. When you are alone, you will start to do things when you feel alone that you were never intended to do. See, when Eve began to doubt God by simply changing of a name, she begins to fall, and so does Adam. She did things she would not do when she was in God's presence. And the only thing that the enemy had to do was change God's name. That's it. That's it. Just change the Lord's name. And all of a sudden, she begins to doubt. She begins to fear. She doesn't sense the presence of the Lord. And so she does things that she shouldn't. And she begins to serve a different God, doesn't she? She begins to serve self. There was a replacement in both of their minds in this moment. There was Lord God, and now I can be like an Elohim. I can be like any God. Okay, so I'm going to serve myself. And this is where we always say pride comes before the fall. And so what begins to happen in this moment is because Eve and Adam don't sense the presence of the Lord by simply a name change, and I'm going to tell you it's important, and you're going to need to hear this, because some of you aren't sensing the presence of the Lord because you're not really calling him by his name. God is just this thing in your life that you do on Sunday or Saturday night or once a week or you're a priester, so you just show up during Christmas and Easter and then you wonder why you're not experiencing the name of the Lord because he's just an Elohim and you serve other Elohims all the time. He's just another one in the mix like money, sex, drugs, lust, stature, access, all of these things that we just serve in worship. And then you go, man, I don't, I feel alone. It's like, because you're not even calling him by his name. This goes all the way back to the beginning. This starts here. And what happens is, is when we don't feel the presence of something, we will do things that we wouldn't normally. I'll tell you why. I was in middle school. Okay. Everyone knows there's nose pickers in middle school. It happens. Okay. So I'm sitting in this math class. I'm bored out of my mind. And so is this other kid. He's got other things happening up in his back cave. Okay. So this joker, I'm sitting across the room. I'm not paying attention to the teacher. And I look over and he's like, you know, he's doing his own thing. And he, he gets a bat out of the cave. And I was like, yeah, ooh. <laughs> and then he ate it. And I was like, oh! <laughs> now, I had been friends with this person, and I'd never experienced this moment. See, because what he didn't realize is I was present, and he felt alone because he didn't know my eyes were on him. And because he didn't know my eyes were on him, he did things that he would never do in front of me. After he ate that booger... He felt the presence. Something must have changed in my body. I probably shook. I was like, oh! And he looked over at me. And I looked at him. And we made eye contact. And I was like, I'll use this in a sermon one day. No, I was like, uh, all of a sudden he felt my presence and then he felt shame. He looked like, and I was like, you can't go back now. Like, it's, you already chewed that thing up, man. This is nasty. But the whole point of the story is that I was there, but he didn't think I was. 
And so he did things he would never do in front of me. But here's the deal. He wasn't alone. He just didn't recognize the presence. I wonder for how many of us this is true in our life. And it's not just the bad things that we do. Everyone thinks like, well, God's watching. And everyone's like, I better not do anything bad. How about like just the fact that he's there? How about the fact that he sees you and he knows you and he loves you and he's with you and you're in his presence? See, what happens is, is the enemy always wants us to feel alone, which is a state of mind, so that we will do things that we wouldn't normally do. And then what do we do? We're like Adam and Eve. When the presence of the Lord does come into our life, we hide in shame behind trees and we worry. Like, I I can't do that. I I can't be a part of this. Like, there's no way that this goes on in my life. Because here's the reality. There is presence in the name. There is presence in the name of the Lord. We talked about this. What the enemy did, he started to isolate Adam and Eve from God by changing the name. By changing the name of the Lord. By just simply using half of what it was supposed to be. And immediately they begin to doubt what they have been told in assurance. And the enemy can deceive them and move their mind and begin to make them feel alone. Can you imagine for a second what it must have been like to hide from God for the very first time? Like forever, you had walked with God in the garden. There, had, there was never anything between you and him. And then because of a simple word, You're deceived and you fall and the Lord God comes to find you, not to hammer you, but because he knows what's happened and because he loves you. And then the one thing that can save you is the one thing you're hiding from. All because you feel lonely. It's a state of mind. They thought in this moment, I am forever separated. God's gonna hate us, all of these things. What does the Lord God do? He comes in to find them. Hey, where are you? And there's consequences, absolutely. But God doesn't say, and by the way, never call on my name again. No. It's this promise of there is consequences, but I'll be with you. I'm going to walk through this with you. And don't worry, Genesis 3, 16 and 15 promises that God is going to rescue us. As soon as the fall happens, right after this moment, God promises that I, there will be enmity between your offspring, talking to Satan, and her offspring, and you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. It's the beginning of the promise. It's called the proto-euangelion. That's a theological word which means pre-gospel. It's the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ right after the fall of humanity. But see, there is presence in the name. And what we have to understand that true presence comes through adoration, calling someone what they really are and recognizing who they are. Adoration. Adoration is where you and I recognize, speak to, and and proclaim who someone really is. Their names, right? Like who they are. But I want you to notice what happened. Eve starts with the Lord your God and Satan immediately goes to God. And then for, the, for verse 3 and verse 5, it's just God. And that's where all things go wrong. And then the Lord God comes back. And I want you to understand that there is presence in the name because there's power in the name. The only reason that people are healed in the name of Jesus, freed in the name of Jesus, is not because the word Jesus is special. It's the presence that stands behind it. Right? Like it, it's, the, it's the fact of who you're calling Jesus. 
Right? That's the reality. That's the presence. That's the power. It's not in those five letters. It's in who stands behind them. And here's how we know this. Acts chapter 3, verse 16. By faith, what? In the name of Jesus, the one who stands behind the name, this man whom you've seen and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you all can see. It is the power in the name of Jesus, but it's not just the name, it's the presence behind it. And what you and I need to understand is that there is presence in the name when we really call God by who he really is. And the way that you and I call God by who he really is is through adoration, We are proclaiming who God is. We are talking about his goodness. We are talking about who he really is. And when we call God by who he really is, we will supernaturally experience his presence. Because everywhere that I went, that I was alone, as I would walk into these churches and I would really be seeking God, I would hear and feel, you're not alone. Because it was his presence it was, it was who he was. I was calling out to my Lord and Savior like, why did this happen? And he says, call my name and the presence of the Lord is there. You are not alone, my son. Because here's the reality. We talked about the fact that presence is not about physical absence. It's a state of mind. And do you and I know that you're never alone? Like you're never alone. No one is ever alone. God has always been with you, always. Psalm 139, starting in verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light became night, become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day for darkness is as light to you. He says, There's nowhere I can run away from your presence. There's no place that I can hide from you and you don't know where I am. So what does that tell you and I? You've never been alone in your life. You just felt alone. You felt alone. Because sometimes in the dark places we go, does Yahweh God really take us there? Does does God really take us here? And if so, I don't want anything to do with that little God. I don't want to be in these places like this. I don't want to have these moments like this. I don't want my life to feel like it's falling apart 15 years ago. But here's the crazy thing. It's really in the darkest of places of life that you really learn what his name is. And you go, how do you know that? Because Adam and Eve walked perfectly with the Lord and they forgot who his name was. So some of us think I would never run away from God if my life was perfect. That's a lie. Because why do you need Lord God if everything's always perfect? And so what happens here in this moment is you and I need to understand that loneliness is about perspective. So here's the truth. Your mentality is your reality. 
As you think, so you are. If you think you're alone, if you feel like you're alone, if you feel like there's no one around you, that God isn't present in your life, then you'll feel it. It's true. I want you to show you how quickly we can begin to be deceived by just the way that we think. How much control and how much can go on in our lives. Because I want you to understand, when Adam, when Adam and Eve were tempted, Satan didn't cram the fruit in their face. He simply deceived their mind, correct? Hmm. Okay. So let's watch this video. You guys pay attention and just see what you hear, okay? Go ahead. What word did you hear? Let's pause it. What'd you hear? Who heard green needle? Who heard brainstorm? Okay, now what I want you to do is read the other word. Okay, go ahead, play it again. What word did you hear? Hmm? What? Wait a second. You guys, it's the same video, right? Can you just play it through the whole way so we, that you can switch it in the middle, okay? Do it again. Here it is again. Did the word switch for you? Okay, here's, let, let's put this how your mentality can be your reality. Let's do this. Everybody close your eyes. You got the two words, right? What are they? Brainstorm and green needle. I, close your eyes. I don't want you to read the words. I want you to think about one. And I want you to see if you hear it. Go ahead. Did you hear the word you were thinking about? Okay, let's do one more, but let's mix the words. So it's green needle and brainstorm. Let's try uh, green storm. Think about green storm. Go ahead. Hmm. Don't worry, it's not magic. It's not of the devil. It's the reality is, is your mentality is your reality. So if you think you're alone, you are alone. If you feel like the presence of the Lord isn't there, it's not. I mean, you're not recognizing it. Did God ever leave them in the garden? No, he's present everywhere. Psalm 139 tells us that. But what? She thought she was alone. He thought he was alone. So he was. And they were deceived. And so, am I helping somebody this morning? Because, like, man, I can't make you go to a party. Man, that would be terrible. Like, I, I can't make you host dinners. I can't make you be invited. I can't make your friends be nicer. I can't make your family be nicer. But what we can do and what the Lord can do is change your mind. But the only way he can begin to change your mind is if he first has your heart. And so what happens in this moment is we see that your mentality becomes your reality. And so what you think is true will become true. It will become true in your life. And so let me ask you, are you really alone in your marriage? Or do you think you're alone in your marriage? Are you really alone all the time? Or is the Lord your God with you always? Are you really the only parents who parent the way that you do? 
Are you really the only people at school that are like that? Are you really the only person who comes in here with church hurt? Are you really the only person who's afraid to come to church? Are you really the only person who's afraid to be of a group? Are you really alone? But the enemy has always wanted us to feel isolated because when we're isolated, we're manipulated. Because here's the reality. Anyone watch nature shows? Yeah? Everyone ever watch wolves hunt? Do wolves, when they're attacking a group of animals, do they attack the whole herd or do they isolate one? They isolate one. And when you can get to be believe that you're alone, you are alone, and now you're manipulated. Now you're deceived. Now you're overcome and all of these things. When all that the Lord says to do is call on my name, and I'm there because I've never been gone. You just need to change your perspective. You just need to see where you really are, and I'm right here. We say this all the time in our church. I heard this a few years ago. Um, The enemy screams, but God whispers. Why does God whisper, church? Because he's always close. You don't need to yell when you're right here. And so the perspective shift is, where's the voice of God? Where do I see the name? Where do I see the power of God in my life? Because as you think, so you will go. And so how do you and I fight the battle in this season? How do you and I begin to really fight this war of this loneliness in our minds? How do we begin to do this? Well, I'm reading a brand new book. Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. It's by a guy named Tyler Statton. Probably one of the best books I've read on prayer in a long time. Because how many of us believe when we're praying, no one's listening? Have you ever just like had that moment when you're like, why didn't you answer that prayer? I must be alone. Because a God who can't answer prayers, we believe is just a little G God, not Yahweh. So we become deceived. We begin to doubt. We begin to feel alone. And when we are alone, we will do things that we would never do in the presence of others. Like pick your nose and eat your boogers. Or what about this? When you feel alone, you look at things on the internet you shouldn't. And by the way, this is a man and woman issue now. Newest research, one in every three new porn viewers is female. The porn industry makes more money than the MLB, the NBA, the NFL, and international soccer combined. Do you know how you get people to really buy into that? You make them feel alone. Alone. I'm alone. No one sees me. No one's going to see me. So I feel alone and I don't feel the presence of the Lord. And so I sin. So then I walk into something I shouldn't walk into. I become more isolated. I hide and then I sin again. All because you feel lonely. Some of us in this room, you're just, you're exhausted because like you're just not who you are. Because you don't feel the presence of the Lord God in your life, you aren't being who God made you to be, so you're trying to be everybody else so that everybody else will like you. Do you feel seen? Y'all ever been at a party that you're, that's just not like who you are, that's not your people, and you're there with all these other people, but you're alone in your mind and in your heart, and it's not fulfilling? Maybe you feel that way when you come to church. Maybe you feel that way when you pray. Maybe you feel that way when you serve. I don't know where you are, but the reality and the promise of God is that you've never been alone. 
He's always been there. And so the thing that you and I must do is shift our perspective and our mentality, and it will become our reality. And so how do you and I fight the battle? Tyler Statton calls it this, defiant adoration. How do you fight the darkness and the loneliness? Defiant adoration. That's how you win the battle. Because so many of us, in his book, he says this, and I think it is so good. I want everyone to read it. In fact, we're going to do a series on it next year. But here's the deal. Prayer flows from the posture of our hearts toward God, not the circumstances that we find ourselves in. So many of us, our prayer life is based upon how our life is going. And what true prayer life is, is about who God is and who we are. Circumstances come as they, they do. But how many of us, we are praying like day and night when life is bad and we don't have any money in our checking account and Christmas is coming. And we're like, Lord, you rain manna from heaven. I need you to rain into my bank account, right? Like, I need something, Lord, right? Like, like you made seas split. I need you to split the target aisles and bring the wealth into my house, right? Like, you just, that's to you. But then when you get all the wealth, you get all the stuff, you get a blessing, someone gives you 500 bucks, you're like, hey, see ya, right? And you're gone until the darkness falls again. And you're like, why'd you get me here? And he's like, I didn't take you there. You got there, but I'm here to help you. And you call out to the name of the Lord. What if we could get to a point in our life where come hell or high water, we felt the presence of the Lord. That we felt he was always with us, even when everyone else wasn't. When we first started to plant bedrock, there were like people who just like hated on us. Like, there were people who believed in us, of course. But if I define the call of starting this church by the people who said, yeah, we wouldn't be here. I had to learn to find the voice and the power in the name of God in order to get us to where we are now. It's by his presence and his power and his name alone that you're sitting in this room today. Because if I just, like, base my life on everyone else and how everyone else jumped in, we started with 25 people, most of them family, and $2,500 from my savings account. There are rats in our first building, guys. We're going to take you all there one day so you can see how it started. One time, Cody and I were in a closet, and a rat jumped at us. We found a new location pretty quick after that. Once the rats got aggressive, I was out, okay? I got out of there. But here's the reality. The way that you and I do this is we actually call on the name of the Lord, Lord God. And how do we do that? Through adoration. Because our prayer life is not built on our circumstance, it's built on our presence before him. When we really begin to pray, not because of the world around us, but because we really want to see God, we will find him and the world around us will settle. Adoration is not always the overflow of the heart. In fact, it rarely is. It is an act of rebellion against the empty promises of this world in a defiance in the face of our circumstances. That's what defiant adoration is. Do you feel alone? That's your circumstance? I am not alone. I know the name of the Lord and his name is good. He is Yahweh God. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Psalm 139 tells me he is here right now and I am hearing the whisper. Lord, help my eyes to see you, to feel you, and to sense your presence. 
So how do we connect with God? By his spirit, through his word, and through prayer. Here's the deal. If we're going to have defiant adoration, we're going to have to choose it. We're going to have to choose to fight. We're going to have to choose to fight to recognize the presence of the Lord. Because how many of us know the battle is not for us generally physically. The battle is for us mentally. How many of us know those fall, those steps start here well before they get out there? Let me show you a place where we see incredibly defiant adoration. And I would really encourage anybody in here, if you want to get somebody a gift, buy this book. I was reading it on trains while I was in Europe, and I'm, I'm amped. I'm like to 10. Acts chapter 16, verses 22 to 26. Let me catch up on what's happening here in the Bible, and then we're going to end. Paul is serving and moving in the world, and Silas is with him. And there's this, they're in this town, they're going to these prayer meetings, and there's this lady who's basically being trafficked by these other people, but she's possessed and she can tell people the future, okay? That's what's going on. But she's being trafficked basically by pimps. They, they, it's not like a bad, like a sexual thing. It is like, oh, you hear her, you give her money, she'll tell you the future, then she gives us money. So she's trafficked. And so every day, Paul and Silas would walk by to go to these prayer meetings, and she would scream out and yell out and talk about, these guys are here to tell you about Jesus and all these things. One day, Paul gets sick of it. He looks at her, and he says, demon, come out of her. You are done. This is done. Be healed. We're done with this. Well, as soon as that happens, instead of people marveling that this lady has been miraculously healed, they get mad. Because what? You mess with my money. You mess with my money, you mess with me. So these guys start to make up lies about Paul and Silas and they grow a crowd of people around them and they begin to beat them and stone them and they throw them, and the Bible says, in the inner cell of the jail. Man, would you feel alone if you were Paul and Silas? You're like, I'm here going to prayer meetings every day. Then I walk by this crazy lady who's demon-possessed, and I heal her, and now you let me get beat and stoned and thrown in jail? Where are you, God? I mean, I'm out here doing your work. But Paul and Silas had learned defiant adoration. They had learned to fight. They had learned to find the presence of the Lord in the darkest places of life where they should have felt alone. Look at what the Bible says. Acts chapter 16, verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Sounds pleasant. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell. No light. This, this wasn't like nice, like jails aren't nice now, but these are really bad jails. Puts them in the inner cell. There's no light. There's really no hope. It's a dingy, cold moment where you're sitting in a wet cell with your back against a stone wall after having just been beaten. And he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight. How many of y'all are in midnight right now? How many of y'all feel so alone? Like there's no light. It's been dark for too long and you don't see the hope of the dawn. You're locked away in an inner cell in your heart, in your mind, and in your soul. And you feel so alone right now. Have you learned defiant adoration yet? About midnight, Paul and Silas were doing what? Praying 
and singing hymns to God. They're praying. They're, they're finally fighting with adoration. You are good. You are with us. You are here. How many of us know the songs that we sing? We sing about the name of God and his presence with us and his power in us and his moments with us. This is the moment that they should feel most alone. And what are they doing? They are singing and praising in the middle of the darkest room in the prison, in the worst place, shackled, cold, and beaten. And all they can do is sing praises and to pray to the Lord. God, help us to sense your presence. God, help us to know you in this moment. God, we know that you're here. God, you are with us. And I'm going to sing about it. And I'm going to keep singing until my mind is convinced. And so they sing and they praise and they do all of these things. Oh, verse 26. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The Bible continues to tell us that the jailer freaks out and he's like, everybody's gone. I'm going to have to kill myself because they're gone. I was supposed to guard them. And Paul and Silas stay seated in the cell and say, hey, don't kill yourself. We're still here. And you know what happens in this moment? Because others fought through defiant adoration, the jailer gets saved. He believes in Jesus Christ. He sees the power of the Lord, not just in the earthquake, but in the presence and the peace that they had by being with God. And so let me ask you, church, where do you need to be today? Maybe Thanksgiving for you. I mean, you, you told me it was good, but really it wasn't. You were just alone. You were at the dinner. You were there. All the weird stuff between you and your family and friends was there. You maybe didn't get to go to Thanksgiving. You were just reminded about how alone you are. Maybe you didn't feel the presence of somebody in your life. Maybe, like Cody talked about last week, you're grieving the loss of somebody and you feel so alone, you feel lost. People who were guides for you in your life are gone. And you're just alone. The Bible promises us through the Lord God that we're never alone. And you and I have to fight through adoration by saying his name and who he really is. Because when we recognize who he is and see him, our perspective shifts and we sense the presence of the Lord. And you say, well, I tried it for five minutes. Keep fighting. I tried it for two days. Keep fighting. Because otherwise, do you just want to resign yourself to the hell that you're living in? Keep fighting. You've got nothing to lose. And you've got everything to gain. And so this season can become the most joyous season because you can be reminded how the world isn't your friend, but God is. And how the world doesn't see you and doesn't recognize you and doesn't hold value in you and is mean to you and the people of the world don't really see you for who you are and you feel alone and you can be reminded in this moment like I was when I felt alone and my whole world fell apart that the Lord God is with me. And I don't get it yet but I get him and I love him and that's enough for me.